0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter. New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co host, Nick Filato. It's been a while since we did one of these. It's been uh, just bad timing, I guess you could say. I was on a little bit of vacation. I had a week to myself down in Fort Lauderdale, and then I had a bachelor party in New Orleans that extended for like a full week. Then Nick had a bachelor party in Tennessee, down in Nashville. And now we're doing one. We're going to try to get a few in. These coming days because it's gonna be another couple busy weeks here. We're gonna get as much as we can. At least it's a dead time of the year. So I don't feel as bad, Nick. But
2: how you doing, man? How was that bachelor party down in Nashville? Dude, Nashville is a blast, man. A lot of live music. And I'm okay with country music, Dan, but you know, after like the tenth time I've heard like Luke Combs singing about long-haired ice cold beer. I just kind of wanted to hurl myself out the window if I'm gonna be real with you.
1: Yeah. So Nashville for me, I used to work down there when I worked for 24/7 Sports, went down there annually. I'm going to be honest. Don't want to throw this take out because I know some people are going to not like it. I like Nashville. I love that it's all on one street. I love that you can walk down to the stadium from there. The food's amazing. Martin's barbecue. Hottie B's uh, fried chicken, but also a Hattie B's fried chicken patties. And then Prince's for actual fried chicken on the bone. And there's other ones, too. There's great barbecue down there overall. Not just at Martin's, but... Country's just not my thing either, Nick. Like, I was just in New Orleans. You walk down Frenchman Street. You got brass playing everywhere. You got blues guitar. That's the type of stuff I want to hear when I'm rolling down the street. Country, to me, just doesn't do it. Never has, never will. I don't fully understand it, but a lot of people like it. So it's big down there as well. There's the Country uh, Hall of Fame. The Country Music Hall of Fame down there as well, Nick. I don't know if you got a chance to go there. We once had an awards dinner there for 24-7 sports. So that was, I guess, cool to see, like, all the good country singers of, of our time. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man.
2: I just, uh, it, it, I guess the country's just not for me either, man. Well, I like country music. It's just, they play yeah. the same four or five songs. So many times it's honky donk, but donk or whatever the heck it's called. And then the Luke Combs song about ice cold beer, then everybody gets turned up like crazy. And I'm like, dude, I heard this song so many times. And even through the alcohol, I'm like, all right, do you have, do you have another playlist? I appreciate <laughs> the, the artists that are down there doing their own stuff. You know, it's stuff I never heard before, but like, that's the kind of art that I appreciate. in Nashville is just chock full of so many talented musicians. And I think that's the kind of stuff that I really uh, valued in terms of entertainment while down there, but other than that, just getting drunk with your friends is always a good time. Always a
1: good time. And I guess, you know, you, you have it, you, you have a more of an advanced taste in country than me, because I I was on under the impression that almost every song is, the, <laughs> sounds the same. So <laughs> just, kidding, you know, just, 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 joking. I'm going to make some real enemies on this podcast. Let's talk about some of the places you hit up a couple things I want to mention first. I did see you, Nick, in a picture. And and listen, I know some of some of you love the preamble, some of you don't. You're gonna have to deal a little preamble. It's been a while. Just go ahead if you don't like this part of the portion. You just want to hear about Giants football. Just skip a few minutes ahead. It's not not gonna kill anyone here. It's still a free podcast. But look, Nick, there was a picture you posted to Instagram with you and your buddies at a bar, and I have a screenshot of it that I plan to use if I need to at any time
2: in the future. But it's you holding a water, dude. I mean, come on, a water. Oh, dude. So I have a whole system down. When I go out, I'll have like double digit drinks. Uh, I'm I'm rolling deep with the drinks, right? But I will make sure that I'm not going to be hung over the next morning by ensuring that I'm drinking water. So I will be drinking and then I'll put the water into my system and I kind of balance it out and I still ride the drunk, but I never get too drunk. So yeah, man, I, I, I do drink water when I'm at bars.
1: I respect it. Look, drinking water at bars is one of the smartest things you can do. I tried to do so as well in New Orleans, didn't do as good of a job of it as I could have. But I still had. I, I still saw more pictures, more social media of you with water than alcohol. And of course, not a single picture of the beer. Man can't enjoy a beer unless it's a Michelob Ultra. But look, we're past those Michelob Ultra days, right, Nick? I did not consume one beer that
2: entire batch. Wow.
1: Party. But yeah. look. I heard you went, I heard you hit up some of my favorite food spots down there. There's three key spots I love in Nashville. Martin's for barbecue, Prince's for fried chicken on the bone, and Hattie B's for kind of fried chicken like patties, like tender type stuff.
2: So what were your thoughts? I know you hit two of the three. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I went to Hattie B's and Martin's. And Martin's, I got to say, I learned a very valuable lesson, Dan. Don't get pulled pork at these good barbecue places. Because I got this platter that had pulled pork and Brisket. Now I know a lot of people are like, "Well, you're eating that." It's like when I'm when I'm away on vacation, I try to enjoy the local cuisine. The brisket was amazing. The pulled pork, ass, complete and utter <laughs> ass. It reminded me of when I was in like seventh grade and they would bring out the fetal pigs that you would have to dissect. That's what my brain went to right when I saw it. That's how dry and just disgusting it looked. I tried a little bit of it, and I was very much let down. Because honestly, here in Arizona, I feel like we even had better barbecue than what I tasted at there at Martin's. And I know that might be a hot take, and, wow. I'm, not, and I'm not talking about Arizona cuisine in, in, in a positive light. But I was disappointed at nothing on Terry Black's when we went there for my other buddy's bachelor party down in Austin. Hattie B's was good, though. That was, that was really good, uh, really good food. Yeah. So
1: I, I would agree that it's not Texas barbecue, Nashville barbecue Martins. I do love, but one of my favorite things from Martins is the, is the fried wing, their barbecue fried wings with the white, with the white hot Alabama sauce, which is like a kind of thing that like you got to know to get that. But as far as, and I like the ribs that I got there, I would never, you, you just don't order pulled pork at a barbecue place from this point on. I think you'll, you'll probably have, you've learned that lesson. You probably won't do it again, Nick, but pulled pork is just too dry. It's just not a good, I just, I, they always serve it at these barbecue places. I, can't remember a time I've had really good pulled pork, and I just don't order it pretty much at this point. I never get the pulled pork sandwich, none of that. But Hattie B's, great. Obviously, you had the chicken. But as we discussed before the podnik, a little disappointing you
2: went with the mild and not the medium. But it, it, it is on brand for you. It is. On, you know what? I don't even know if it's on brand because I'm a fan of medium, man. I like hot, but I, I was too much of a pussy and I was like, you know what? It might be too hot for me, so let me just go with the mild. And then I looked around at my friends who had medium and I was like, oh, ah, yeah, I messed up. You know, I messed up. Take the L. I took the L and then I moved on. All right. Well, you know who's not taking
1: L's? Hopefully this year, the Giants. We're going to hope to get some wins. So let's That's dive well. right into it. Yeah, let's dive right into this thing and let's talk a little bit about the Giants schedule. We have a lot to catch up on. We just haven't been on the pod in a long time. So I wanted to get your early thoughts or just your overall thoughts on on how the Giants schedule shook out because it was released about a week ago at this point.
2: The Giants schedule, man, I mean, I look at this and I am not an overly optimistic person. I try to stay very, very rational and balanced but that schedule is so much easier than the 2021 schedule. There are so many winnable games to the point where the giants could realistically have a winnable record this season. When you look at this man, the the quarterback difference between who the giants are playing this year in 2022 and who they played last year. It's astronomical, bro. Like this is a, this is, there are some winnable, winnable freaking games here. And it makes me even more excited for the season. Yeah. It's an interesting schedule.
1: One thing I like a lot just from the outset is once again, they have a midseason bye week. This seems to happen almost every year for the Giants. This one is going to be in week eight. I believe in a little bit of a conspiracy theory because I remember at one point reading something about how John Mara really puts a price, like, really wants this and, like, and understands the value of it. And it seems like every year the Giants get – we can look back, a listener, if you want to, to you know, ch- double-check me on this because I'm going off memory. But I'm pretty sure almost every year the Giants are in, the like, the 6-11 to 11 range by week and a lot of the times it's like perfect eight or nine in the middle so really interesting there and and obviously really helpful for the Giants I don't like that they lose a home game in London against the Packers but it's better than playing in Lambeau and they have the extra home game anyway this year from having the extra game you got some really easy games away at Seattle Seattle's great at home but unless they sign Baker Mayfield or make a trade for Baker Mayfield I'm just not worried about Drew Locke and Geno Smith there. They got the Jaguars away. That's a good team to face away. Titans away is going to be tough. Home for the Ravens, that's where you want them. Home for the Bears, that's where you want them. Texans, I don't really care where they play them. I wish it was kind of a way, just to not waste a home game. Lions at home. I mean, this is a really, really interestingly easy schedule. Lions, Texans, Seahawks, Jaguars, and Panthers, all on this, and Bears, all on the schedule. That's an insane. That's six teams right there The Giants could easily beat this year if the Giants hit their stride. And that doesn't even take into account all the six games against the NFC East, all of which, to me at least, are winnable. I'm not... I'm just not thinking the Cowboys are going to run away with this these two games against the Giants right now. I'm not not big on what the Cowboys did this offseason. And I don't feel very strongly about Jalen Hurts, even though the Eagles have a great roster around him. And then there's the commanders who are not that good of a team. And it's like even the tough games here on the schedule: the Titans, the Packers, the Ravens, and the Colts. I could see the Giants squeezing one win out of that. Maybe if they're lucky too, but even if they get one. They're still going to be in contention to win like eight or nine games, I think, if if everything breaks right, just because of how easy
2: the rest of the schedule is. Yeah. So on Big Blue View, I did a game by game prediction. I, I I'm not big on these predictions, but you know it's it's something that uh, I ended up doing for for Big Blue View, and I came away with the seven and ten record. But that's well kind of with a lot of close losses and kind of being erring on the side of just let's be a little bit reserved here. But honestly, dude, I said at the end of the article, I, I don't think 10 wins is insane if the ball just bounces the right way for the Giants, which some of these football games, it comes down to the wire and, and it takes, you know, a few inches here, a few inches there. And we all know inches are really, really important, you know? So I, I think that the Giants can possibly get to 10 wins, but that's probably not my prediction, but eight, and nine, dude, maybe nine and eight. If, if they get a lucky here and there, that's, that's not ridiculous. And I did not expect to think that, After the absolute just crap show that we saw at the end of the 2021 season,
1: yeah, I mean, it's schedule based. Like a lot of optimism is based on just how ridiculously easy this schedule is. This is the easiest schedule I've seen preseason in my memory, according to you know, Strength of Schedule by CBS Sports, which is just basing it on last year's win totals, which I don't love as much as basing it on the projected win totals for this year, which I think Warren Sharp does, which I'm going to find out his numbers too which i'm sure is still really good the giants have the easiest schedule in the nfl according to last year's win losses And, and even if you look at projected wins like it's not like the bears went up it's not like the panthers went up if anything they went down jaguars seahawks down down texans down i mean colts maybe go up a little bit ravens probably not up that much on a projected win total titans definitely not up that much so like Looking at this, the Vikings, I didn't even mention the Vikings. That's a winnable game, too. The Vikings are not are a 500 team under Kirk Cousins, and they're rebuilding their defense almost entirely from scratch with new with new system on both sides of the ball. Like That could be difficult for them. It's an insanely easy schedule. Now, I'm not going to go as far as doing what I did last year, which was predicting 10 or 11 wins with a harder schedule. I think the Giants roster... I think the Giants could potentially be... Don't take this the wrong way, folks. At about the same as they were last year before Daniel Jones's injury. The reason I say that, Nick, is not that I don't think they improved this offseason. I think it's a more of a long-term improvement. I think there's going to be issues on defense from the start. I think the secondary is going to cause problems. And there's going to be communication issues. Remember we talked about last offseason, Nick? How rarely we saw on that Patrick Graham defense any communication breakdown. How rarely we saw these coverage busts. I just think that's going to start happening again. When you don't have great corners, you don't really have any a second safety after McKinney that you can trust— and you're implementing a brand new system where the communication starts from scratch and it's a ton of command coverage, there's probably going to be some breakdowns. Like, let's be honest about it. That's going to potentially happen. Now, some people say, oh, the pass rush will get there fast enough. It's not going to matter. I'll believe that when I see it. I still think most NFL offenses are just designed to get the ball out in under two and a half seconds where the pass rush really only comes into play on third and long situations, second and long situations or against some of those more traditional teams that do like the play action, you know, five, seven step drop back, hit your back foot type stuff. And th- in that sense, I think Thibodeau can make a big impact in Aziz as well, but I'm not going to make the huge prediction just yet, Nick, but man, it feels like we're going to get competitive football just based on like a lot- They're facing a lot of
2: uncompetitive teams. Exactly. And I think it's going to come down to those quarterbacks because Nash B asked us this question a few days ago. He tagged us on Twitter, and it was basically what we just went over. Like, how much better are the corners going to look in Wink's system because of all that blitzing? It's going to come down to those quarterbacks recognizing that blitz pre-to-post snap. How well can Wink and the Giants defensive players disguise that blitz? And then once that quarterback that the Giants are facing realizes the blitz is coming, can he recognize what receiver won off of the line of scrimmage against Which cornerback, if it is just straight cover zero man coverage. And a lot of the times that guy, that quarterback, is going to look at the number one receiver on his team. So it could be a Dory Jackson. So can a Dory Jackson hold off long enough and be disciplined enough at the line of scrimmage to not get automatically beaten off the line of scrimmage? I think that's something that we have to look at. And then to bring the pass rush into this, Kayvon Thibodeau's got a damn quick first step, Dan. Right, Damn quick right. first step. If you can scheme a lot of one-versus-ones with Kayvon Thibodeau and then also incorporate a second-level blitzer to scheme those two-versus-ones or even those three-versus-twos, this is something Wink Martindale did consistently with the Baltimore Ravens. I think the Giants' cornerbacks, like to Nashby's point, can look better. I think a lot of it comes to pre-snap, post-snap, deceptiveness, and that opposing quarterback. And like I mentioned a little bit earlier, the quarterbacks the Giants are facing this year are not the quarterbacks that they faced last year. Last year's quarterbacks, they were freaking great. Yeah, they got Aaron Rodgers this year. You got Ryan Tannehill this year, sure. But if it isn't guys like Davis Mills, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz twice, Jalen Hurts twice, you know, wh- whoever the heck Seattle's going to roll out there. And then a young Trevor Lawrence. There's a lot of beatable quarterbacks here. I mean, yeah, you, you still have uh, Lamar Jackson and stuff like that. But who the hell is going to start for Carolina, Dan? <laughs> Justin Fields yeah, for the Right. So it's, it's, that's one thing that I am looking at to Nashby's point and thinking like, Okay, maybe the the perceived weakness on the back end can be masked by excellent pre-snap disguise from Wink Martindale and execution from those edge rushers. But I'm still a little bit tentative, a little bit worried about the secondary in general as well. That's so fair, though, too, because,
1: I mean, really even just hearing you talk about it and thinking about it and framing it a little differently in my head, I'm coming around to it because, like, I think, yes, if you're playing like Aaron Rodgers, which they will face at some point this season. That's when I start to think like, yeah, you know what? You can send a lot of guys at him. It's not going to matter. The same thing was honestly true, which is crazy, about Joe Burrow. Just in year two, after he didn't even have a full first season, Wink he just destroyed Wink Martindale last year. It was like, he's just like, he's like, you want to blitz me? Good luck. I'm getting this ball out, and I'm throwing the one-on-ones, and I'm putting it over the top because I don't care. I'll throw that pass. I'll make that. I'll take that chance. Rogers will take that chance, but like, you're right. Like, do I trust? And I think Ryan will do it when they face the Colts. I think Cousins can do it against them I'm not so sure, like you said, Justin Fields, you know, Trevor Lawrence in year two, whoever's playing for Seattle, whoever's playing for Carolina, Davis Mills, even throw him in the mix, Jared Goff, Jared Goff, I'll throw him in the mix as well. Right. And obviously the the division guys outside of Dak Prescott, that's more than half the the games they play. So I think you and Nashby are onto a point. Maybe I'm overrating the issues in the secondary because they just don't face enough quarterbacks where it's going to matter because, you know, the key thing I hear keep hearing out of OTAs, Nick, We'll get to some OTAs recap next, but I don't, I don't want to close out. I have a few more thoughts on the schedule I want to get your takes on. But the thing I keep hearing and I keep loving to hear out of OTAs, Nick, is three separate defensive players have said the exact same thing. Julian Love, uh, Leonard Williams, and I forgot one other person I saw I was reading the the quotes of. They all keep saying the same thing. This defense, were dictating the terms. He's like, Wink is going for it. He doesn't really, he's not going to be looking at like, all right, let's play zone versus this team. Or let's, you know, all the NFL is finding success playing this too hot. Look, well, guess what? He's changing it up. He's dictating it. And when you dictate to bad quarterbacks, like the Drew Locks of the world or whatever, whoever's playing for Carolina, Darnold, whatever it's going to be, if they play Corral or whatever, it's tough for these guys, like you said, to come off their first read to have any time and and all the, and a lot of time, like you said, they'll lock onto a read that's just not there. Like you can take it away and then they're in trouble. And so I think you guys are onto to something, and I, and I may have to really reevaluate if the defense is going to need as much time just based on that. I really like to hear, you know, that we're going to be that kind of defense. And one other thing with that, Nick, I'm curious to get your take on. Do you think the Giants might have an advantage with so many teams moving toward the exact, pretty much not the exact, but a very similar style defense, you know, playing a lot of zone, playing a lot of two-eye safety and the Giants being now one of the, not only, but rarer teams to play a very man-heavy middle of the field, close blitz, heavy system. Like the giants are going to run. Does that give them an advantage? Cause you know, teams are preparing for all the other style defense and then they get this and they mix in their schedule and they're not really used to how to beat it. They don't have as many, you know, zone beaters or whatever it may be. And then they have to face that in their schedule. And it's a little bit of a kind of
2: shock to their system. I think from that standpoint, they definitely gain an advantage, but I also think that, Wink Martindale needs to be really efficient with how he calls his blitzes, when he calls his blitzes, how he disguises his blitzes, and just how he kind of picks his spot. Because if you start to have these issues on the back end and those edge rushers and those blitzes are getting picked up and the protection is on it, then you're going to give these bad quarterbacks a little bit more of an opportunity to attack you deep. Now, the fact that they're bad quarterbacks, it's not going to probably – it won't make them pay. They won't make them the Giants pay as much as some, you know, Tom Brady's and Aaron Rodgers of the world. But I think having the middle of the field closed man coverage type of look after, say, a team that game planned for three middle of the field open type defenses, yeah, that's definitely going to give you a slight edge, but still going to obviously come down to play calling and execution, big on execution for from a lot of different standpoints when in terms of the New York Jets. But I wanted to bring something up to you, Dan, for a second. Looking at last year's schedule with the Ravens. I'm looking at teams who scored more than 30 points against the Ravens. The Bengals did it twice. They scored 41 points twice. And that's just because Joe Burrow went crazy. Aaron Rodgers scored 31 points at the end of the year. And then Kirk Cousins scored 31 in a loss to the Ravens. The Chiefs scored 35. It's Pat Mahomes. And then the Raiders scored 33. But other than that, the commanders scored three points. The Broncos scored seven points. The bears scored 13 points. The Browns scored 10 points. So, a lot of bad quarterbacks there, not scoring a lot of points. Now, will that completely carry over to the New York Giants in twenty twenty two? Not necessarily, but it's little clues like that that maybe you can read into and be like, maybe against these bad quarterbacks, Wink Martindale is going to really be able to just mask maybe the lack of secondary that they do have on the back end. Yeah, I think it's a great point, and it's
1: something I, you know, I you have to fully consider when I'm talking about all these issues. I'm thinking of them in the prism in the sense of like, look, on paper right now, the secondary doesn't. Look that good to me, and that's on paper now. That's before injuries, right? Adore Jackson's been injured in each of the last four seasons. He's their only corner I can count on. I can't count on him, to be completely honest. Cordell Flot more of a long term play. Aaron Robinson has been injured in the past. I don't think that's going to crop up. Who knows? The point is, he hasn't really proven himself as an outside guy either yet. Julian Love now kind of stepping into this starting safety role. Don't love that either. And all those issues on paper come up, but then it's like, like you said, like. Bad quarterbacks don't really test bad secondaries. Like just, just they just they don't find a way to score points. They're just that bad. And it's a quarterback driven league, as we've said plenty of times on this podcast. And so you're right. I think Wink Marndale might just be able. Remember what we talked about all the times last year, how there were so many times, Nick, where I where I talked to you or I asked you because I was like, tell me I'm not crazy, Nick, right? We're watching the All-22 on this game. We're watching the Giants defense against these bad quarterbacks over the last few years. And they're just sitting back and running their system and playing so much zone. I was like, they should just blitz these dudes. These dudes don't have solutions to pressure. They don't have solutions to when you take away that first read. Don't even give them any time to do anything back there. And now I feel like, you know, all the times when you watch these bad quarterbacks and you see these defenses play right up on them, Right up on the line of scrimmage, one safety over the top. I I dare you to beat me over the top because you're not going to be able to. We know you can't. And to be quite honest, I hate to say it, but defenses have done this to Daniel Jones, and they've done it damn successfully. Bowls destroyed Daniel Jones with this game plan. Uh, two years ago, the Steelers destroyed Daniel Jones' with game plan. Spags destroyed. Like, there's plenty of examples of defensive coordinators doing this to Daniel Jones. And so, honestly. I think against all these bad quarterbacks, we can just run this, and it's pro- and I'm more optimistic now than before. I talked this through with you.
2: No, I'm I'm right there with you, especially when you look at the schedule. And I think it really does come down to the schedule. Like you you insert 2021's quarterbacks into that equation, Wink Martindale system might not look as good because those quarterbacks can find those vulnerabilities so quickly and and so efficiently. Whereas all these other guys, man, I mean, it's it's. I don't know, man, unless they take big steps forward, those quarterbacks, I'm I'm looking at the schedule and, and feeling pretty happy to be a Giants fan.
1: Yeah, I think they're going to be competitive this year, which is fun because we haven't had competitive football to talk about in a long time. A couple other interesting schedule notes. For starters, Giants are playing on Thanksgiving for the first time in a long time. That's a big one uh, in Dallas, obviously, against the Cowboys. You know, we usually spend that day, me and my family, just rooting against the Cowboys and having a new team to root for that day. It's just fun. We just have a team every year to root for last year, year's the Raiders. I think they played and they won or something like that. I think, yeah, the Raiders beat them. Derek Carr's thrown all over them, if, if that serves my memory well. But I, at this point, my memory has, has not been great. But this year, it's the Giants. We're watching our own team on Thanksgiving, so that's interesting. The Giants also closed the year out, Nick, with five of their last seven games against division opponents. That's wild to me. Like yeah. They will have a chance to win the division on a tiebreaker
2: based on that alone. I looked at that too, dude. And I was like, wow, you don't see that all that often, right? I mean, five of the last seven, because you have what? The Colts and the Vikings, which is on Christmas Eve, a Saturday. And if the Giants, man, if the the Giants have a realistic chance to kind of go into week 12 where they face Dallas, because they face Dallas week three, Monday night football. That's the only division game they have until week 12. And then you get Dallas, Washington, Philly, Washington, Vikings, Colts, Philadelphia. They can swing their whole season, even if they're just having a ho-hum start and they lose some stupid games to like Jacksonville and Seattle. Cause like the only hard part of this schedule in terms of like travel, yeah, you got to go to London. That has to be kind of included. But you have the back-to-back away games before the bye week. But you still have that bye week. But it's in Florida Jacksonville, and Jacksonville, then you're gonna come back up to Jersey, and then you gotta go all the way up to the Pacific Northwest to play Seattle. I think that the giants could lose one of those games. And I honestly think the giants are probably better football team than both of those teams as currently constructed. But even if you do say you lose both those games and you can go in and get on a hot streak for week out of the bye week week, 10, week, 11, you win both of those. And you can beat some of these division opponents. The giants could get really, really hot heading into the playoffs and giant fans know damn well, if you can get hot heading into the playoffs, you can do some damage. Not saying that's going to happen by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just pointing out the fact that the giants can have an opportunity to really, kind of take this division by the horns if they can really get hot around week 10, 11.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: Yeah, and just thinking about that, like, you look at the schedule overall, the Giants, have the, the thing I didn't like about it is, look, the, the last four games, Giants are on the road for three of those four games, including one against the Vikings, which are, in my opinion, one of the toughest teams to play on the road. I went to the, the Monday Night Football game there, like, four or five years, I don't remember when it was, it was a long time ago, Odell was still on the team, um, and he had, like, a hissy fit on the sideline, I just remember that, but... It is the one of the loudest stadiums I've ever been to in my entire life, college or NFL. They get so loud in there, and it's just built in a certain way. That dome, the way they—it's a newer stadium. They built it to like maximize the volume, which again, like, just another knock on the crappy MetLife Stadium. Not only is it a horrific design, not only is it just terrible. From just like there's no home field advantage. They didn't even design it to like be a massive like noise, like a big noise like place for the Giants. It's just like there's no advantage to MetLife for the Giants, which sucks. But anyway, the Giants in the past, when they have made their runs to the playoffs, and again, like you said, it's good to have the division, especially if they're going for the the tiebreaker to win the division. Again, we know this is a winnable division, even with Dallas in it. In my opinion, at least. They, in the past, when they've went on their runs, Nick, have been road warriors. The Giants have always been a better team, weirdly enough, on the road versus at home in all their good seasons. So, like, I get less less nervous about that because I know that they've been better on the road than, than they have been at home in the past.
2: Yeah. I mean, going back to 2007, all the tight wins, he had to go on the road in the playoffs, beat Tampa, beat Dallas and go into Lambo and beat Green Bay. I mean, ah, it brings back memories of high school that I that I just love to be to be real with you right now without a doubt. A couple other interesting schedule notes. Uh the only
1: primetime game for the Giants all season long. Monday Night Football against the Cowboys in MetLife in week 3. Now, one interesting note about that. Well, you expect a we're not going to get that many home games. Or I'm sorry, we're not going to get that primetime games. We've been really bad the last Gettleman years, but what's interesting about that is Shout out John Mara, my boy. He uh He's pissed at the NFL for this because they scheduled on Russia Hashanah night. He's like, the one thing I care about with the schedule, don't put us on Russia Hashanah. So shout out to, to John Mara, thinking about the New York Jews who can't make it out, New York, New Jersey Jews who can't make it out that night for Russia Hashanah. Now, that wouldn't be me. I'm actually going to get to go to this game. It's going to be the one game of the season I get to go to. I don't have to work for CBS on primetime games, uh, so I always – Schedule those and circle those. Obviously, I don't know if we've men- I've mentioned on the pod before, but my family has season tickets, and me and my brother are going to go to that game. We're really excited. We're not really practicing Jews, to be completely honest. We we like the culture. We're not really about the religion, but I'm giving him shout out anyway because you know what he's the- he's-, he's he's got us in mind. You know, he's got our backs. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Good good for you, John Mara. Yeah. Thank you. But
1: for those who are listening to the podcast and want to meet up that night, by the way, I'll be there Monday night football for that game. So, so we'll, we'll talk as it gets closer, but I'd love to meet some of you at the game in the parking lot before the game, maybe have a beer or two, talk a little Giants football, me and my brother. For those who might remember, my brother made his guest appearance last year around that time on the podcast when Nick was, uh, when, when Nick was, when me and Nick were in different locations at the time. So just a, just a little shout out there. Um, a couple other notes that I thought were interesting about this schedule A lot of one PM games, Nick, which I personally hate. I'll be honest with you. I like when the Giants play at 425, so I can watch Red Zone at one PM if I'm gonna be completely honest. So I want to see the rest of the NFL. When they're at one, I feel like I never get to. But this is just another nod to the people. You know, I know you I turned you on to this, Nick, but the two T V people, you gotta have a two T V setup in your living room. Got one for red zone, one for the Giants.
2: Yeah, oh a hundred percent. I can't live without that. And honestly, I was doing that before I met you two (laughs) days. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Because I thought two I thought TV. I
2: was I, I thought I was the originator. Because when I did it in college, people
1: were like thought I was crazy. Back in the day, it was like, oh, you're an idiot. Who does this? And I was like, I don't care how stupid this looks. It's about utilitarian. I'm very happy to have those two TVs during football season. But um oh, anyway, oh, any other thoughts necessary. on the Yeah, it's necessary. Any other thoughts on the
2: schedule before we move on to the OTAs? now I think we're good to talk some OTAs. The schedule, it's uh I, I like the way it looks, but let's see if the Giants can execute and actually win some games.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right. What have been your biggest takeaways so far from the OTAs? We can talk about what well, we we're, we're catching up now. So there was one today that wasn't open to the media. There was, there was three last week and then one was open to the media. That's where we kind of got most of the information from. So, And obviously, neither me or Nick are there. We're not beat writers, though. I do have some credentials, so I could get back on that at some point. Maybe I will this offseason. I got to talk to my old boss at CBS when I was on the NFL team. I think he'll give me that. Uh, He he can get me that that access again, but I have to give a good reason as to why I need to be there for as a fantasy analyst. That'll be that'll be the harder part. But Nick, what are some of your thoughts from the early OTAs?
2: I kind of want to touch first on just Kadarius, Tony, you're hearing the coaching staff rave about him as a worker and as a teammate and all that. And that's all well and good, but this new knee injury, nobody really knew about. And it's just kind of another one of those things that you tack on to the Kadarius, Tony tab as things to have slight concern about. So I'm just hoping that he can get healthy and be ready for week one. Cause he had that off season surgery and he was there in his red Jersey last week.
1: Yeah, Tony, man another injury i mean look we hope it's nothing they're piling up though and it's lower body his knee it's i love the talent man nick but i just i don't know man i'm hoping for the best here cuz he can be so good if he's healthy but i i these injury profile type players man when they have the lower bodies that continue to build up it's it's scary for me because he's still so young and he was injured almost his entire career at Florida. He's a smaller guy. He plays insanely physical. That was one of the things we talked about when we watched his film at Florida. We're like, this dude has Camara light. the, the reason he struck me so much as an Alvin Camara comp was because the way he ran so low to the ground, but the difference kind of was, and, and I mean, we've seen some injuries crop up with Camara too, by the way, but the difference was Camara has a little bit in my mind of a different build. That's kind of a little bit lower to the ground and kind of maybe better uh, you know, center of gravity that helps him avoid injuries. I don't know what it is. It could just be luck. That could be it. But the way that Katoni plays his physical nature and all these
2: injuries piling up, I'm I'm a little nervous to be completely honest. Yeah, and I think I think we should be nervous because this is a first-round pick who has had a lot of things just surrounding him since coming in. Now, I'm hoping that he's on the straight and narrow, but showing up to the OTAs with a red jersey for surgery that none of us knew about is going to cause some alarm, but better now than in training camp or during the season. So hopefully it was just something minor, and then once all that happens, Kadarius Tony can be ready to really consume Brian Dable's offense and hit the ground running. But I want to say, just in terms of on-the-field stuff, Dan, What kind of has stuck out to me from what the beat reporters have told us all about, RPOs, ton of RPOs and a ton of Saquon Barkley in the slot with Matt Breida in the backfield. Unique utilization of personnel along with the RPOs. I think those are things that, The Giants being this uber conservative, old-fashioned type of organization, it's nice to see a new, modern, fresher look on offense. And that's something that I feel like we've desperately needed for at least the last five years. Without a doubt,
1: this is the big news for me so far out of OTAs. I do want to I want to get to this, but I first want to just go over a few other players who are wearing the red jerseys and injured: Galladay, Tony, Shepard, Colin Johnson, Richie James, Austin Prol at the receiver position. So, opens up a lot of reps for other guys, which is interesting. Offensive lines got all sorts of all sorts of guys in red jerseys right now: Andrew Thomas, Nick Gates, Matt Parrott, Jamil Douglas. So that's obviously opening up opportunities. We're going to talk a little bit about what the offensive lines have looked like so far, because there's good news actually on that front, which is in the sense that Shane Lemieux, who many thought would be opening in the red jersey, seems to be fully healthy, already practicing with the first team offense, may have the upper hand there at left guard. But as far as what you're saying, schematic stuff and X's and O's, that's what really has me excited so far about OTAs, because you know we just didn't see this the last two years. I know it was talked about a little bit. Garrett wanted to do it. Garrett did it at times, occasionally. But now it seems like it's the entire focal point of the offense. And by that, I mean doing things that generate easy offense. That's what it is. I mean, that's what it's about right now. If you don't have, again, no one gets you know too offended by this or anything, but if you don't have a guaranteed elite quarterback who can deliver all sorts of throws to tight windows deep down the field intermediate, then why not give him layups and why not make things easier? And why not make the focal point instead on, Your offense moving in sync and blocking in front of guys like Darius Tony, like Wandale Robinson, Sterling Shepard and Kenny Galladay in space. And I think that and Barkley, who you just mentioned, and even Matt Breida, I think you're seeing a lot of that so far in in OTAs. I really love the the heavy emphasis on RPOs, because if you just look at the numbers, RPO has been one of the best concepts for Daniel Jones at the NFL level from both an efficiency standpoint and from an explosive play standpoint. This is one of the things that he does well. He did it well at Duke. It's to be completely honest, and I know you'd agree with me, Nick. Pretty quarterback friendly. <laughs> let's let's be real about it. It's a quarterback friendly call, um, but that's kind of what he needs right now, in my opinion. And the same thing goes for some of the motion that we've seen, some of the emphasis on getting Barkley the ball in space as a receiver, lining him up in, in, as a receiver, putting him in motion. All of those things are going to make things easier for the quarterback, and that's not a bad thing. Because look, Pat Shermer made things really easy for Daniel Jones, and Daniel Jones played his best football under Pat Shermer. So. I'm, I'm for it, man. I'm
2: for the, the ease of the offense. I'm for the ease of the offense, Dan. And I also just appreciate that Brian Dable is basically telling Daniel Jones, yo, throw interceptions in practice. Take those freaking risks because you'll learn and you'll gain confidence in throwing through those tight windows. Throw as many interceptions in practice as, as you can, as long as you learn from them. And then come game time, you'll know you're kind of – Limitations and and your capabilities. I like the fact that he's challenging him to be risky. I think that's something that's very important for uh, a kid like Daniel Jones, whose fifth year option wasn't just picked up. You know, there's a lot of question marks around him, and I think he needs confidence. And I'm glad that Brian Dable is is basically not being like, hey, if you come in here and throw a bunch of picks and practice, you're done. You know, he's giving him a long leash and allowing him to learn this offense the right way by making mistakes and then knowing what he can and cannot do.
1: Yeah, that's the other good thing. I mean, you you nailed it, Nick. Like, like Dable said, throw the interceptions. And they asked Daniel Jones. One of the reporters asked Daniel Jones, "Like, look, was this something that changed after your rookie year? Where <laughs> you know, in a way, they almost asked him, like, were you told not to, you know, to try to tone it back, scale it back?" He's like, "Look, well, yeah, there was an emphasis on trying to not turn the ball over." He's like, I, "I let's be honest, I had a turnover problem in my first in my first year, and it was a massive turnover problem." I mean, look, Daniel Jones was turning the ball over at an insane rate through his first I I believe through the rookie season and then a little bit after I think it was through the second season I mean it was all-time numbers from a turnover standpoint he turned it over more than any quarterback in the NFL from both fumbles and interception standpoint so that had to be fixed but not at the cost of generating explosive plays and I'd rather see if Daniel Jones has the playmaking ability in him by letting him rip the ball and letting him throw interceptions than just Seeing if he can become like what Carson Wentz was last year for the Colts, like 27 and 7, 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions, but not someone who's ever winning a Super Bowl playing like that. And I want to see if he has it in him, the playmaker that that he that we hope he can be. And he's flashed it. Like, look, not, we I think we've both been pretty clear on this podcast. The film doesn't show a really good quarterback right now. And that's independent of the bad old line and the bad tasks. Me and Nick both but me and Nick both have agreed that the film has also showed flashes of him being a big quarterback. And Nick, I know you can talk to this, but there are times where it looks like he does things better than even some of the the quarterbacks who right now we might say are a better overall player, but he may not have as much upside as what Daniel Jones can be if he reaches that upside. And so I think there's still that player in him. I just want to see if it can come out and this is a good start, give him layups, but also allow him to throw interceptions because to me
2: that has to be done. Think about some of the best quarterbacks in recent memory who were young and kind of hit the ground running guys like Andrew Luck, for instance, and Daniel Jones, isn't Andrew Luck, but Andrew Luck took risks. Andrew Luck threw a lot of interceptions. And that was also because he had not the best team around him, but it's because he was also taking those risks. Jason Garrett's offense, Dan, and we've talked about this plenty on the podcast. His main goal was to mitigate those interceptions and those turnovers, which inherently is is a good thing but that also is going to force Daniel Jones to play so much more tentatively so much more conservatively or sometimes you just want to allow this guy to rip it allow him to make those mistakes in practice now and then we can see what he's capable of on game day I think that's an excellent uh path that Brian Dable is kind of allowing Daniel Jones to pursue right now early on in OTAs
1: yeah, without a doubt. And so we'll see what happens there on the offensive side of the ball. Like to see a few other things on offense. They're already getting Wandale Robinson in the mix. He's been getting some first team reps. Same with Daniel Bellinger, the tight end. I mean, look, some people thought this might be a red shirt year, but it might not be. He's
2: getting a lot of early reps of the first team. I like to see both those guys mixed in already. Yeah, belly. I'm going to start calling him belly. now. Nah, Daniel Bellinger, though, him and Wandale Robinson, I appreciate the fact that they're both already receiving first team reps. And I think... We we've spoken about this with Wink Martindale, like the maximization of all the defensive players on the roster. I think we can see something similar with some of these skill position guys. Like, I don't know if Daniel Bellinger is just not going to play at the expense of two guys who are on one year deals, two veterans. I think if Bellinger's ready, he's going to get his way onto the football field and there'll be packages specifically developed for Daniel Bellinger. And there freaking better be packages specifically developed for Wandale Robinson. And I'm I'm expecting that. Yeah. Exactly. So
1: we'll see what happens there. Let's talk a little bit about what we've seen from the offensive line so far. It's these OTAs, so nothing really matters from what's on the field. But what matters is who's with the first team O-line. And right now, it's Corey Cunningham at left tackle. That's Andrew Thomas. Shane Lemieux gets the first nod at, at, at left guard. John Feliciano at center. Mark Lewinsky at, guard, at right guard. And then Evan Neal. I don't think there's any surprises there, but I think the interesting thing here is, one, Shane Lemieux's healthy. And he's ready to go. And he's getting the first crack there at left guard. Um, what are your thoughts on the first team line right now?
2: So I think Bobby Johnson came out and said that he really liked Shane Lemieux coming out of college. And that speaks excellently for Lemieux, and I'm hoping Lemieux. I mean, I'm hoping that he can kind of come in. This is what year three now. He lost his entire second season and hit the ground running here on this offensive line. I'm glad that he's getting the first crack at this left guard spot. I don't know if it's going to last into the season when everyone's healthy and, and ready to go. But I'm just glad that he's recovered from this injury. And I also like the fact that John Feliciano's nickname is Dirtbag, according to Bobby Johnson, which was an excellent nugget to hear.
1: Well, one thing about Feliciano, I wanted to get your take on. He had a, there was a weird thing that came out media wise of Feliciano where he kind of called out the former Bill's staff. He said, I can't lie. There's part of me that was like, Oh, y'all got what you deserved. uh, Feliciano said about the bills, losing the chiefs. Honestly, when you look back at that game, everyone's just going through the motion. There wasn't anyone challenging in the face of Casey's defense. There's no attitude out there. I feel like that's what I bring. I feel like potentially if there was that, it would have been a close game, but who knows? I might be wrong. And, and obviously he was, he, you know, he was benched. So it, it seems like, there's obviously some bad blood there, maybe, even though, you know, we brought over a lot of the same people to the Giants. What
2: are your thoughts on that whole thing? That's where it's weird. Like, if this was him leaving and then going to a team where there was no other coaches, it's like, ah, yeah, he has some animosity. It is what it is. But he he left the Bills and, and went with Brian Dayball and, and Joe Shane and, and Bobby Johnson and all the coaches that he had. He might not have gotten along with Coach McDermott. I mean, that that's kind of what this... This quote maybe a like suggests to me, but I'm not really a hundred percent sure. I found it to be a little bit weird that that he came out and he said that with all the coaches here with the New York Giants that were there with Buffalo Bills, but he was there uh, up there in Buffalo, and I was not. So there's definitely some sort of bad blood, though, for sure. I'll be honest, Nick. One thing I found interesting about OTA so far:
1: Ben Bredesen getting some reps at center. I'll be mm-hmm. honest with you, not a huge fan of Feliciano. Think it's a this could be another uh, Tay Crowder type situation for us, where we're just inflating him because we're Giants fans, and he's just not. He, like you said, he was the Bills didn't deem him somebody they needed to keep. Obviously, he's brought over because Bobby John Bobby Johnson and Dable have familiarity. It's gonna help leg up, but that's not going to guarantee him a job. Ben Bredesen might just be a better player transitioning to center if he can pick it up quick. And so I won't be surprised. And same thing, Max Garcia, I think also got some center reps, which was interesting as well, because he's an athletic player who might be able to offer something Feliciano can't from an athleticism standpoint, if they want to play in this move system where they're throwing things in space, all these layups got to get the blockers out there for, you know, for these post catch type plays. Maybe he can beat him out too. I wouldn't be surprised at that. So Feliciano for me is not someone I'm just like, oh yeah, we got Feliciano. He's our starting center. He's great. I, I'm going to see if he, he can compete for this job. I don't think he's a guarantee at all.
2: Yeah, this is just music to my ears. Not country music, just just music to my ears. Just the fact that we have a bunch of options, Dan, right now where you're like, well, it, it might not be this guy, but it could be this guy and maybe that guy. Like, I just feel like, the Giants, and I've brought this up in the past, but they're in such a good position right now. And the offensive line still might not be that great, but you have other pieces that you can rotate in that aren't Wes Martin and freaking Matt Skura and, and players that you kind of got off the scrap heap right before the this season. This, there's depth here. And and that's, that's, I think, the main takeaway right now. We're early. There's still training camp. There's still so much to play out, but there's plenty of depth here that can allow the cream to rise to the top. Yeah, without a doubt
1: couple other notes I don't want to talk too much about plays but Daniel Bellinger's made some nice plays uh Jones had a big overthrow that Julian Love intercepted I think Kayvon Thibodeau got his hand on a pass that was intercepted Davis Webb's thrown some nice balls so has Tyrod Taylor I'm curious to get your take would you like what are they going to do at quarterback are they going to roll into the season with three guys because it's going to affect their roster if they if they're carrying three quarterbacks i almost i love the days when you carry two i'm a big two uh, i'm a big carry two kind of guy but it seems like they really like davis webb what are your thoughts on what they're going to do at quarter corner uh
2: sorry quarterback i think they're going to end up rolling with two i wouldn't be shocked if davis webb loses this out and then just becomes like a giants coach like he almost did <laughs> the bills when he almost pursued that but it makes more sense to to, to carry two i will say this though the two quarterbacks that the Giants have on the roster in front of Davis Webb, the two perceived quarterbacks, maybe I should say, both have injury problems. Tyrod Taylor gets injured. Daniel Jones gets injured. So maybe yeah. there will be a roster spot open for that third quarterback, which I do believe would be Davis Webb. He s- seems to know the system. He has experience with these coaches. And he, by all of these accounts, it seems like he's doing a pretty solid job, at least in OTAs early on. He has an still. NFL arm. Like he, the, there's no denying well, that he has an NFL arm. Someone else had an NFL arm, Dan. What was his name? Mike? Mike something? Mike Glenn? Mike Glennon? <laughs> yeah, and he does have some
1: weird Glennon similarities. I see like very similar type players to Glennon, though. He had more of an effort when he was with the Giants. Davis Webb, you should just—I don't know if you remember too much of the the Webb years because it was like year, or years, whatever it was, preseason. Um, because it was before we were doing the podcast, but he would just—I've never seen a quarterback more than Davis Webb throw the ball downfield. He was always throwing downfield. They were intercepted at an incredible rate. Like more than you could, like, you expect some drops in there or just like some balls that just missed the corners hands. Nope. Safeties and corners were picking them up all often, but he was chucking it downfield. This dude loves to throw downfield aggressive.
2: And that's similar to Glennon as, as we, as we yeah. pointed out, even though that Mike Glennon Garrett's and- system though, he like got less aggressive. I feel like, Oh yeah. I think that's a product of, of just good old Jason Garrett, but what are you going to do? Right? Yep. All right. Some other interesting notes, I guess I would
1: say Leonard Williams, Justin Ellis with the starting defensive line. Backed up by David Moe and DJ Davidson, and then Chris Hinton on the third team. I like Hinton. I think he's a, a kind of a low key potential guy who can make the roster. Blake Martinez, Tate Crowder, first team backers. I'm hoping that changes, obviously. Uh, Camp Brown, Carter Coughlin, next. Uh, Ellerson Ward and Jihad, and I'm sorry, Ellerson Smith, Jihad Ward, the backup edges behind Ojolari and Thibodeau. Um, let's see what else we got here. Dory Jackson, Aaron Robinson, the first team corners, Darnay Holmes in the slot. Any thoughts on any of that?
2: No, not much. I mean, that seems to me to be pretty pretty predictable. I mean, I thought that Holmes would be the slot guy if it wasn't going to be Flot, but Flot's also a rookie, so I don't think they're just going to force him in there if he hasn't necessarily earned that. So this isn't too surprising. I'm but I do think this I think there's going to be so many interesting uh camp battles once training camp rolls around i think there's a lot that we can probably go over and once some of these other guys that the giants have added the candidates of the world and and players like that once they get accustomed to the system and what brian dable wants as a head coach and and all that jazz they can maybe fit into this but for otas this this isn't really surprising what about you were you surprised by any of it no i guess
1: Maybe the only thing that would be surprising to me is that they're keeping Coughlin and Brown on the inside. I thought maybe this coaching staff would view them differently, but nothing crazy there. We expected a lot of this. same thing with Julian Love getting the start at safety. They just don't have much depth there at safety. Like Jaron Williams and Dane Belton were behind him. I like you. Excuse me. I like Yusuf Corker a lot. He was with the third team. We'll see if he can move his way up. That'll be something to keep an eye on. But yeah, nothing too crazy there. One other thing I wanted to talk about here, which is interesting to me was that, Daniel Jones apparently made a really big gain on one of their RPO plays when he kept it. And we heard from, I think it was Kafka. was like, I knew he was an athlete, but until you see him on the move, you just don't know what kind of an athlete he is as a runner with the ball in his hands. And I've heard that from past coaches on the past Giants staffs too. And I think it's pretty obvious when you look at the game tape, Daniel Jones is more game speed than tested speed. And he really can move in space and he has lateral agility that I like. So I'm happy to see that they're not going to take that away from him. They're going to continue to... To be honest, yes, I know he's been injured a lot. Yes, I know he's had a lot of his fumbles when he's been a runner. But if Daniel Jones is not running, then he's, then you're, in my opinion, there's no, there's no debate in my mind to even be had. Like, maybe he can eventually become a decent quarterback with great pass protection, but he needs to have that, that. That's an element to his game that he needs to have. He needs to be adding yards on the ground. It's something that he's always done in some of his best games. Um, You know, not as much in the Shermer years, but in recent years. So I'm happy to see that they're not taking that away.
2: And I think once you combined the RPO element and the design quarterback runs with a more modern offense, I think you may see just another level of offense because Jason Garrett tried to do it to his credit. He tried to incorporate um, quarterback runs and all that, a little bit of RPOs for Daniel Jones. And there were some modicum of success at least i i believe there was until daniel jones ended up getting hurt which is another thing that we can probably discuss at a future date but i think like you said man in order for daniel jones to be maximized he needs to rush the football this is a guy who averages 5.81 yards per carry since 2019 it's the third highest in the NFL among players with at least 150 rushing attempts in that span the only players higher than him are Lamar Jackson and Rashad Penny who has 6.36 and 5.91 yards per carry respectively so it has to be an element and I understand the injuries but that's why you brought in Tyrod Taylor you can't play tentatively like that and be like well he's been injured before so let's not use one of the greatest assets that he can provide our offense
1: yeah You nailed it. You're 100% right on that. And so I'm glad to see that we'll still be doing that. A couple other notes. Alec Bachman, who just continues to just always be good in this time of year and then into (laughs) training camp, has made made some big plays so far. Uh, I'm not high on him. We'll see what happens there. Maybe he can crack the roster this time around. Um, And How many slot receivers can the Giants carry, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Uh, Maybe they're going to lead the league in that. Anything else that that I missed here or that
2: you want to touch on from the OTA so far? I feel like it's one of those things that we like to talk about a lot on Twitter and everything. But like I think training camp is where you get a lot of the substance that that we will be diving into a little bit more than OTAs. Once you get some hitting involved and and everything like that. But I just still think it's – I think that the – and we talked about this a little bit with Seth Kalina – the questions around what the heck are the New York Giants going to do with Daniel Jones and Brian Dable, they still fascinate me, and we're starting to get little bits and pieces to kind of fit that puzzle, and hopefully it's as unique and creative as as what it seems like it can be here in OTAs and just from what we experienced with Jason Garrett last year. So I I just like everything that we already went over in the podcast, RPOs, all that kind of stuff. I'm hoping we see more and more of that leading up to the season, and once week one rolls around against Tennessee, hit the ground running, and this offense can actually put some points on the board.
1: No doubt. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Big Boo Banter Podcast. We're still going to be ripping. We're still going to be rocking. We've got a couple busy weekends coming up, but we're still planning to do a couple things. So keep an eye out for these following things. We're recapping some OTAs. We're going to do a big mailbag at some point, And we also want to do deep dives into the tape for some of the players we haven't touched as much on, like Wadnell Robinson, Zudu, and players of that nature. So we're going to do all of that in the coming weeks, I'll say especially next week once things you know once our schedules get more realigned there's still going to be you know about 6 weeks until we get to training camp 8 weeks until we get to training camp so there's still a lot of time left ahead but thank you so much for tuning in and sticking with us we do appreciate one thing if you want to help us out especially now that Spotify allows it please go ahead and leave us a rating and review if you're on iTunes and you got the podcast app hit subscribe make sure you download every episode on Spotify or iTunes and hit that five star, leave us a rating and review. It helps boost us up the algorithm, gives us a shot to kind of grow and expand to different audience. So we really appreciate if you take that time to do it. It should probably only take you like 60 to 90 seconds, but it makes a huge difference for us. So thank you so much if you do do that or you have done that in the past. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon.